Twelve years ago, when I attended my mother's funeral in Leicester, where she was born, I spoke fairly briefly about her and re recollected uh, things that lots of the people in the congregation, friends and people who'd worked with her, knew. Afterwards, several of the people who were distant relatives said to me, don't you look like your dad? Well, I suppose there's some truth in that. But we, we recalled, we recalled a saying of my mother's, she would, and she's Leicester-born and bred. In the street or anywhere, really, when she met anyone, she would say to them in Leicester slang, you might say, hello, me duck. And they all remembered and smiled. Anyway, this time we're back in the Old Testament with a father, Eli, who's a priest. He's in charge of a tabernacle, a worship place. And he's not doing so well with his family, two sons. So, now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all, to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So Eli said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it's not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal your, myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you, why do you, honor, sorry, why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering by the, my people of Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, Far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me, I will disdain. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your family line and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done in Israel, in your family line there will never be an old man. Every one of you that I do not cut off from my altar will be spared only to blind your eyes with tears and to grieve your heart, and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni, Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart, and I will firmly establish his house. 
and he will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a crust of bread and plead, appoint me to some priestly office so that I can have food to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good morning. The second reading is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through to 40, and that's pages 1028 uh, through to top of uh, 1029 in, in the Pew Bibles. Jesus presented in the temple. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who is righteous and devout, who is waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him up in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the, tri of the, tribe, of, uh, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all whom were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we ask you to come to us now by the power of your spirit, <clears throat> that as we listen to your word, you will teach us what it means to serve you more faithfully. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Excuse me a moment. We're coming to the end of our series on 
Christ in all seasons, what Jimmy Young would call the anti-penals. That probably means nothing to most of you who are younger, but it's the one before the penultimate sermon. And the title I've been given is Fullness of Life, rather full of years. Full of years. How's that to be defined? Well, Psalm 90 that we heard on Easter 2 says this, Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. So there we have it, 70 to 80. Some of you exceeded that. Some of us have yet to get there, in spite of appearances. (laughs) It's that time, humanly speaking, when you look at your passport, the shiny new one, and you look at the expiry date and wonder which will be first. (laughs) Or you say to the salesman who says, my product has got a 25-year warranty. Well, who's that going to benefit? And it goes completely over his head. It would be easy to reminisce and to think that things were much better in the old days, but was it? Some of us remember rationing. You remember spam? That pink processed meat? We understand what spam filter is. It's our teeth, because we used to filter out the gristle from the spam that we used to be served on Sunday lunch. There was a Facebook cartoon not long ago of a couple of old wrinklies discussing the fact that things tend to come back in, to come back in style. Oh, one said to the other, I can't wait until morals and respect become a trend again. <laughs> in our first reading, we're reminded that morals and respect weren't the norm even in Old Testament days. The question for us today is how are we meant to be living with Christ, whatever age we may be, in these tumultuous days? I would suggest to you that living as a Christian in our nation is probably harder now than it's ever been, and it won't get easier. The Democratic Unionist Party have been hounded by the press for being socially conservative, being pro-life, and pro-marriage as God declared it. And the press have handed a politician, even a politically correct one, in a way that people of other faiths are not subjected to such scrutiny, who are more likely to be uh, less politically correct than this particular Christian. In my Bible reading notes, just after Chitesh gave me the sermon title, Full of Years, I read this, it said, adopt an overcoming attitude Remember that he that is within you is greater than he who is in the world. How are we to live? Well, in Luke chapter 2, we're brought face to face with Simeon and Anna, who were in the temple. And Jesus was brought to the temple in fulfillment of the Jewish law. And on this momentous occasion, the focus turns to two of God's servants who are in the latter years of their life. Here are two people whose lives were lived with purpose and would be blessed by God with the privilege of seeing their Redeemer. They came to see Jesus, but it's them that the passage invites us to observe. Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. And verse 36, there was also a prophetess, Anna, 
and we're told she was very old. So these two older servants of the Lord can be an example to all of us of what it means to live a life of fruitfulness and purpose. Firstly, notice that Simeon and Anna waited. We're told in chapter 2, verse 25, that Simeon, whose name means God has heard, was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That suggests that Simeon was close to God's heart and his prayers had been heard by God. In his senior years, Simeon wasn't focused on material things, but waiting to see his Messiah, his Saviour, his Redeemer, a reference to his hope of the Messiah that he would have been taught through the years, no doubt. And the Spirit of God reveals a very special promise to Simeon in verse 26. You, in your lifetime, will see the Messiah. We're not told when this was in his lifetime, but you can imagine what was going through Simeon's mind as the years passed by. The anticipation, the sense of excitement of being able to see God's Christ in the flesh. You get the feeling that Simeon had been waiting for some time for God to fulfill his promise to him. But he waited patiently. And the word wait there means to remain expectant even though there might be a brief delay. He trusted that God would fulfill his promise to him. We live in, a, in an age of immediate gratification. We want the world, and we want it now. But what we need to remember is that God doesn't work in our time scale. The Bible teaches that a thousand years to us are like a single day to our Heavenly Father. Some people, before they die, have a long list of things that they want to do. I still want to drive a steam engine. It was promised for my 60th. I'm still waiting. <laughs> it's safe to say, I'm dropping a hint, it's safe to say that Simeon, there was, uh, there was only one thing on his bucket list, and that was to see the consolation of Israel, the comfort that the Messiah, the Redeemer, would bring to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Simeon was in a long line of waiting people. David wrote in one of his psalms, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. And another wrote, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I wonder if that's a comfort to us this morning. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart. And then Anna her story is one of sorrow. Married for seven years before her husband died and left as a young widow, unusually remaining single for the rest of her life. Hannah would spend the whole of her life on her own, trusting her God to provide for her physical needs. And she was willing to live this life because her sights were set not on herself, but on God himself. She wanted to devote her life to God, and she was waiting for the very best of redeemers. What are you and I waiting for? What's the promise that we've been waiting to see fulfilled in our lives? In many ways, we're like Simeon and Anna. Simeon was confronted with the trial of Jesus, and 
he could have wondered, well, has God got this right? This is a child. This isn't a military messiah. What's God got to do with a child? And what's he going to do? And how many times do we cry out to God to deliver us when we're in need? How many times do we turn to the scriptures and read his promises that God answers prayer? And so we pray. And finally, the answer comes and we barely recognize it because it's not something that we expected. And we begin to wonder, is this of God? Is this his answer to our prayers? Simeon and Anna show us that there are better things worth waiting for than the things that we tend to focus on with our time and our energy. Prospective parents looking forward to the birth of their child are so excited about the prospect of the birth of their child. But I wonder whether we as Christians have that same sense of anticipation spiritually. As each day we get closer to meeting our Lord in glory, do we have this sense of anticipation, this kind of longing? Paul wrote to Titus to tell them to instruct Christians in Crete to live in a way that shows they were looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great and great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So we need to wait and anticipate the fulfilment of God's promises, just as Simeon and Anna waited. They remained expectant. And to follow Christ properly, we need to be in a daily relationship with him. But let's be honest, we don't always find it easy to be in a daily relationship with Christ. Some days we feel his presence so close to us, and other days we struggle to focus because of everything that gets in the way. But we wait expectantly for God to fulfill his promise, maybe in our time, maybe not in our time, but one day still to come. Waiting can suggest idleness, but following Christ isn't a stagnant process. It's a journey. It's a daily relationship, and it takes our commitment to participate. And sometimes it takes a commitment to wait, knowing that God keeps his promises. Secondly, notice that Simeon and Anna worked for God. Even in their advancing years, they were still able to find things that they could do for God. They weren't going to allow age to be an obstacle. They wanted to be fruitful. So we learn that Simeon, verse 25, was a worker for God. We're told of him that he was righteous and devout. His life was characterized by God as one that was virtuous and sincere, unlike Evi, Eli and his sons, as we heard in the Old Testament reading. He was devoted to following God's law, and even at his mature age, he wasn't going to grow old disgracefully. He was waiting and working. As we wait for the coming of Christ, we're encouraged to live, as Simeon did, holy lives, and to be constant in prayer in our relationship with God, to be in a similar state of readiness to welcome the Lord when he comes, whether that's at the moment of our death or when he comes again in triumph. 
Secondly, Simeon was the Lord's servant, literally a slave. Sometimes we may think people are too old or too frail or too limited to be of much use to God. But Simeon's life rejects that notion and churches must recognise and value their seniors. I read an article on giving which suggested that 60% of a church's income comes from those who are over 60. They shouldn't just be seen as those who provide the income, but also as those who provide ministry in many ways. Simeon viewed himself as a servant of God who could do something. His life didn't belong to him, but to God. We're told, verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was in tune with God and his revelation in a way that even some of the disciples weren't tuned in to what God was speaking to them through Jesus. And for us to be filled by the Spirit, we must empty ourselves of ourselves and turn towards God and trust him. And as we're moved by the Spirit, we can declare the wonderful things that Christ has done for us and brought us salvation. And as we're moved by the Holy Spirit, the fear of death is lessened because it frees us from the burdens of this life and leads us into the blessings of the life to come. But more of that in future. Anna was a prophetess. God used her to reveal his truths to others. It's a role she took seriously and she led others to come to know and understand that the Redeemer had been born. We're told that she worked in the temple and worshipped there day and night, probably having a small dwelling there because that wouldn't be physically possible otherwise. And the focus of her work was of that of service, uh, of fasting and praying, verse 37. And I doubt she was just fasting because she was poor, but rather because she wanted to seek God's will and going without food and praying helped her to do that. And verse 38 tells us that she worked by sharing the knowledge of her Redeemer with others. She cared for people enough to tell them about the Saviour. So these two seniors are examples to us of what it means to work and to serve God. Will the same things that were spoken of Simeon and Anna be spoken of us one day? Are we righteous, devout, and counting ourselves as, sermon, as servants of God? Rick Warren wrote, faithful servants never retire. You can retire from your career, but you will never retire from serving God. And as clergy, retired clergy, we know that only too well. Someone suggested changing the name to pensioned clergy because clergy never really retire, and I'm glad. Simeon and Anna thirdly worshipped. Their response to this amazing revelation that they had received of Christ their Saviour was to worship God. And we're told that they were thankful for all that God had shown them. What about worship for us? How important is worship for us? I would suggest it's a priority for us to meet together as members of God's family. 
I understand that Sunday now is, is a difficult day for many, unlike those of us who are older, for whom Sunday was a day of rest and worship. That's not possible today. But wherever possible to make Sunday uh, a day of worship. I told the story at a 10 o'clock communion service when Albert Braithwaite was alive of a, a vicar acquaintance of mine who was going on holiday. And I said, oh, where do you go to church when you're on holiday? He said, church? We don't do church on Sunday. We go on the beach. And Albert nearly exploded with indignation. And for months afterwards, he was spluttering. We don't do church on Sunday. Where did he train? <laughs> Well, it wasn't Bristol or London, it was up north. Simeon and Anna, and Anna openly acknowledged their thankfulness to God for what he'd done as they worshipped in the temple. They showed their devotion to God by continuing to work for him in the ways that they could. They were a blessing to others after they met Jesus. What of ourselves? Do we bless others in the way that we live our lives? Can it be said of us? We're here today to give thanks to God for all he's done for us, particularly uh, as we celebrate the communion together. But it doesn't end there. Do we, like Simeon and Anna, show our thankfulness to God and worship him by putting our lives into his hands so we can be a blessing to others? Are we giving thanks for our Redeemer in regular worship and in daily lives? as Simeon and Anna did. These two elderly saints are a great example of what it means to wait on the Lord, to trust his promises, and to serve his people. And we do well to imitate their examples at whatever stage of life we're at, so that we can say with the psalmist, Lord, you've been our dwelling, our dwelling place throughout all generations. We're acutely aware that not all achieve that fullness of years in biblical terms. The thread that separates life from death is very thin. As we once heard as a family, it's better to have lived 17 years knowing Christ than 70 years without knowing him. The famous cricketer and missionary C.T. Studd wrote a poem, the last two lines of which say this, only one life, it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And whether we achieve the fullness of years in biblical terms or not, what matters is how we live for him today, waiting, working, and worshiping Christ, who alone provides us with the strength and the stability to live for him in the future. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your servants, Simeon and Anna.